This is episode number 158, Being at Peace with Your Story and Identity with Michelle Madrid Branch. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Outs Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few brief announcements. First one being regarding our upcoming event on July 27th called Survive to Thrive, Your Past Does Not Determine Your Future. This is a five-hour experience during which we will hear from speakers from all over the country and have multiple breakthrough sessions where you can tap into tools and lessons from those presentations that can help you learn how to face your fears, break your bias, and reinforce your potential. If you're interested in learning more about this experience, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today forward slash survive to thrive. Your past doesn't determine your future. The second announcement that I would like to make is in regard to our podcast. If you like what you heard on any of the previous episodes, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring stories. Now, let's get back to the show. You know, it really stood out to me. There were a couple of things that stood out to me from uh, your story and profile and just having known you for, how long has it been? Two years? I think two, maybe three years. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, going on to three years. Was yeah. I remember I came across one of your posts and that post was, being at peace with our identity and our story is the birthright of every adopted person. Yeah. And the reason why it stood out to me was I remember many times throughout my own experience, how I felt knowing the past that I had in different elements of being neglected and abandoned within that previous life. I think it's key in my opinion to find that peace because in finding that peace, I was able to actually move forward through that mm -hmm. journey. And I'm curious to know, and the way that I want to start this off, and um, you knowing me, I love to just dive right in to the topic. When did that make sense to you? When did it make sense to you that, hey, yes, certain things have happened within my past, but now it becomes about how do I create peace, internal peace, mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. a lot of those elements and cards that I was dealt at the beginning. Do you remember, mm -hmm. was there a specific time or a set of times that mm -hmm. made you realize that, hey, I, I no longer have to look at the story the way that I did for all these years? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know, first of all, like, thank you for having me on. I love any opportunity that I can chat with you. That quote that you mentioned, being at peace with our identity and our story is the birthright of every adopted person. Um, it, it goes back to my belief that there is a lesson that we need to learn in this life. That lesson that we mostly need to learn is most often what we are called to teach. <laughs> and so 
being at peace with my identity and with my story as an adopted person has been really, I think, the journey of my life. And mm-hmm. I think the seed, the seed was planted. Um, probably when I went back to um, the UK, I'm, ad- I'm adopted from the UK out of foster care, international adoptee, as you know, um, adopted by Americans. I went back to the UK to visit reunite for the first time with my birth mother as a teen and I remember being there and I think it was the day before um, I left we were out in the garden and a neighbor came across the street and said um who do we have here and my birth mother looked at me with like fear in her eyes and she stumbled around her words and she said oh this is Michelle she's a relative from the U.S. And I remember in that moment feeling so disempowered because A, it wasn't the truth. I wasn't just a relative. I actually was her daughter. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't willing to claim me in that moment and share that truth. And I felt very much not at peace with my identity and with my story because I had gone to England on that first reunion looking for my birth mother to correct all the wrongs that were swirling around inside of me, inside of my head. Um, I wanted her to give me that identity that I so longed for. And I wanted her to settle the raging waters of my story. And she wasn't able um, to do that. And I realized in that moment that I had to find a power somehow, some way to do that for myself. And it was a struggle in my life to find that power and to believe that I actually had the power to be at peace with my identity and my story and actually that I was even worthy of being at peace. And I think it was um, when it really was set ablaze inside of, my, inside of my being was when I was in Ethiopia in 2010 adopting my daughter. And the first time I held her in my arms, um, I was holding her and I learned of the name that had been given to her by a stranger, which was Tiblet, and I asked the meaning of it, and, and the meaning is let her be greater. Orphanage director said, it means let her be greater. Tiblet means let her be greater. Mm. And it was at that moment where I realized that, that the meaning, the translation of her name was really a crying out. It's what I had been crying out for all of my life, trying to figure out this, uh, the puzzle of my own adoption story, trying to claim who I was, that I would have been crying out, let me be more than this. Let me be more than the brokenness of my story. Please don't let me drown inside of my story, not knowing who I am and not feeling that I have sort of a handle, that I have ownership over my own story. And thus, I think, began my journey in 2010 of really discovering what it means to be at peace with our identity and with our stories as adopted people then and understanding that it's my birthright it's just not mm-hmm. a desire it's not just a dream it is actually my birthright to have that as and 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 i saw that in my daughter immediately as i held her it's her birthright to be more it's her birthright to know who she is it's her birthright to achieve everything she wants and hopes in in her beautiful young heart and i never saw that in myself until that moment i was holding my daughter and what i wanted for her became exactly the same as I wanted for me. And it, the clarity around that, I think just, it became crystal clear that I did have the power. And, and unless I was able and willing to claim it as my birthright, I might never get there. It had to be mm. that inside of myself. Mm. How much do you think of that journey? And the reason why I asked this next question is because I feel like I've definitely lived through different elements of it. How much do you think of claiming that peace 
and finding that peace is an individual responsibility rather than going to the individual, such as in your case, go into that birth family and, and almost wanting them to give you that thing. But what I've learned throughout my own journey is that it's difficult to expect that from someone where you don't even know what that thing is that you are wanting. So do you think there's an individual responsibility that you had to take in understanding that just by me going there, I may not actually receive that thing. I'm going to have to find it myself to begin with. Absolutely. It's like the hero's journey, right? And I needed to be able and willing to embark upon that. And it is, there is a personal and individual responsibility that each of us hold. And it's the thing that stands in front of us. Are we willing? Do we believe that we're worthy enough of, of claiming what is true for us and standing in that truth? Do we love, will we love ourselves enough to go the distance and, and claim what is rightfully ours and getting back to birthright. And so I do think we have an individual responsibility as human beings, as individuals inside of adoption or outside of adoption to claim that for ourselves, to claim our truth, but especially as adopted people, mm-hmm. we have a responsibility to claim it for ourselves. Now, it, it's, it's not, I'm not saying that that's easy because there are a lot of things that can stand in our way and, and roadblocks and challenges and a lot of limiting beliefs that can be um, uh, seated within our minds. But it's, it is the work of each individual, each adopted person to look into, I believe very strongly because I've done this, to look at the wounds, to really be honest, what is the story I'm telling myself about my adoption story? What are the wounds that are lingering within me and what kind of limiting beliefs are being you know, sparked from the wound or wounds? And what do I need to do to move forward to overcome what seems <laughs> impossible, but it's not, right? Um, what do I need to do to overcome the odds and to rise up and be greater than the pain, greater than the struggle, greater than the brokenness? Because I, I didn't want that for me. And I think the pain had to get strong enough to where it was unbearable for me. Mm. Like, I don't, want, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to live so confused about who I am. I don't want to live so afraid to claim my story and to claim my truth. And I also don't want to live in someone else's, within, inside of someone else's secrecy my own story, there was so much secrecy, you know, I sort of secreted away into foster care. My birth mother moved on. My birth father never spoke of me until a month before he passed away. And I remember feeling like I just had to um, make myself small and live inside of their secret. And that's, you know, that's just near death, to be quite honest with you. And no person should be expected to do that. Um, We're not made, called, we're not, we should never be asked to live inside of someone else's secret and to mm. become small for someone else's comfort. Mm-hmm. It's just never, it's never should be asked of the adopted person. Mm-hmm. Do you think one of the reasons why you chose to adopt was to mm-hmm. possibly fulfill one of those holes that you experienced as a child? You know, that is possible. Um, I think for me, I'll be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I um, ad- adopting a child felt more natural to me than actually giving birth to a child. I, I didn't. I, did, I didn't know if I would ever um, bring a child into the world biologically, which I ultimately did. Um, my my son Christian, but then I, I did um, adopt um, my son Ian from Russia and my daughter Viana from Ethiopia, as I mentioned. But I do feel that part of the decision was I felt like I spoke the language of adoption. 
Um, growing up, my parents didn't speak the language of, of adoption, my adoptive parents. They didn't understand the language. They didn't understand the loss. They didn't understand the grief. And I felt if I could, as, as a parent, offer that to my child or my children whom I've adopted, then perhaps I could help them along the way, understanding more deeply, more completely what it feels like. Um, and in the process and I, of, of, you know, of grieving that we must go through to, ride, to arrive at a brighter place, um, of honoring birth family and birth parents, to be able to support them in that way and love them through those confusing questions and confusing times, mm -hmm. to understand that adoption is shared family, um, that my children have two mothers, whether they know them or not, they have two mothers and that's very real for them. And um, letting them know that I love their birth mothers um, mm -hmm. and that they are absolutely a part of our family um, and, and valued, valued parts of our family, valued members of our family. I just felt like, well, like if it makes sense that, yeah, I felt like I, spelt, I spoke the language of adoption and that could be very comforting and helpful to uh, a young adoptee. And um, also, you know, the truth of the matter is I probably did long to give to someone, give to a child what I did not receive as an adoptee. I think oftentimes we look to uh, give to others what we did not receive. And also, you know, understanding that we are able and we have permission to give ourselves what we did not receive as children. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a beautiful point. And the reason why is because when, it, when you spoke about giving to others what you did not receive, my experience has been is that it goes so much more than adoption. It yeah. goes into all the friendships and relationships and whatever else that might be a part of. And understanding that every single one of those is an opportunity for me to reflect upon my past and all of those experiences and enhance that experience for someone else. I mean, mm -hmm. just going through even different phases of a friendship and understanding that there are certain people, I, I'm a huge believer that people come into your life for a reason or season or a lifetime. It, yeah. it took me a while to understand it. I don't know however many years, but it made me realize that every single person that comes into my life has a purpose. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm able to articulate that purpose. Other times I'm not. But what's been interesting to see is that in cases where I've been able to identify the purpose, it made me realize that there are certain people that come into your life and they may say one thing and it's going to stick with you for the rest of your life. So yeah. someone else's influence can impact the trajectory of your own identity for so many years moving forward. And it sounds like your experience was somewhat similar in, in, mm -hmm. in, in understanding that impact. Yeah, absolutely. That's really beautiful, poignant and well put. You know, I think about, um, what you said about people come into our lives for a reason, a season, or a lifetime, even with reunion as adoptees. You know, I, I found my birth father after he had passed away, but in, in the discovery of my birth father, I found out that I had a, a half-brother. Mm -hmm. And um, when I reunited with my half-brother, Andre, in Spain, he told me that a month before my birth father passed away, he told Andre, I have a daughter out there somewhere. And at the time, Andre didn't know if he was just, you know, sort of in pain or talking out of his head. And then, you know, shortly after um, his, my, my father, our father's death, Andre and I um, discovered one another. But 
you know, the reason this season the lifetime, since the time that I've reunited with Andre, which has been probably now five or so years ago, mm-hmm. um, it was a season. I'm not sure it's a lifetime. We connect now and again, but the, the reason I think for our powerful connection in the beginning I think Andre was supposed to share that message with me. All of my life, I wondered if my birth father thought of me. Mm. Did he even know that I was alive? Did he even care? I was told that um, when, when my birth mother was pregnant, he said, I don't even want to know when the child is born. Well, when I learned that he had said to Andre, I have a daughter out there somewhere, I discovered in that moment that not only did he likely think about me all of his life as he held me as a secret, that he thought of me, but that he also knew that I was a daughter. And so that mean that meant to me that he had to seek that information out somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. And it was a healing. I was not expecting that gift or that healing, um, but it was definitely that. And so, yeah, people come into our lives. That, you know, the adoptee's journey is a lifelong journey. We don't know when someone comes into our life unexpected, as Andre was in my life story whether it will be, you know, for a season or for a lifetime, but my goodness, I think there's always a reason. And I'm forever grateful for that moment that he and I had there face to face to learn of my father's words before he died. It was freeing. It was like freedom to me. And I felt loved by a father that I, I all of my life, I, I felt like he didn't love me. And I know that, I know that he did. So that was, a, that was a, a, a part of finding peace in my story, um, unexpected, but it, it certainly brought me a sense of deep, deep, deep peace. Mm. Have you been able to recognize or notice any hidden skills that you possessed due to being adopted? Because one of the things that I've learned throughout my journey is the number of times that I had to tr- transition throughout my life the drive and the perseverance that was developed out of those transitions. And Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that I've learned in regard to connections and relationships is that I'm able to not necessarily move faster through certain moments of hardship, heartbreak, whatever it may be, but it's Mm -hmm. like I've developed a foundation for those things. Have you noticed anything within your own particular experience as far as hidden talents or anything along those lines, skills that you might've gained through the fact of being adopted? Oh, that is so, that's such a good question. I think um, the first thing that pops to my mind is my desire to understand another human being. Um, My my willingness um, to create space for another human being to feel seen and heard. And I think that comes from just me not feeling seen and heard growing up as an adoptee and not feeling understood. I want people to feel understood when they're in my presence. I want them to know that I see them and I hear them. And I think that's a skill that was developed um, along my own adoptee journey. And I, I think, you know, compassion. I, I feel I have a heart of compassion for others. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think what I learned is, and I hope I can say this in a way that, that is clear, but I, I learned a connection beyond the physical because I, I realized as a little girl, I'm not, I don't have a connection to my, my first parents, birth parents, bio parents, however you term um, our, our first parents. I don't have a physical connection, but 
I believed for some reason deep down in the very, you know, core of my being that I could have a spiritual connection with them. And then if I closed my eyes and, and I thought of them and I spoke to them in the dark, the darkness of my room, that they mm -hmm. somehow would feel that. And I really do believe that. I, and I believe that that has been shown to me countless times in my life, that connection doesn't necessarily stop at the physical. And um, I believe that is why for many adoptees, we feel such a strong connection with our birth parents, even if we've not had um, the, the, the time or the moments in our life to be with them. From, I, I never really had that. I had some time with my birth mother after my, after my birth but no physical connection with my birth father and very little with my birth mother, yet I felt them. And um, giving myself permission to feel them on that um, more spiritual, emotional um, level mm -hmm. was, was really important for me. And so I hope that um, I display that in my, in my life with the people that I come into contact with, that it's, it's um, connection um, real meaningful connection goes way, way, way deep. And um, the physical should not stop us from feeling connected to those who matter to us in our lives. Mm -hmm. How does do you that make sense? <laughs> it does. It, it does. And I, I actually experienced that to a degree through my own journey. But I'm curious to know, in the case of your birth father, as you mentioned, you, you don't have a connection there. Mm -hmm. How do you fulfill that hope? What, what do you do there? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, well, I can tell you that meeting Andre helped to fulfill, not completely fill, but um, helped to begin to fill that hole. I felt, I felt loved by a father who had never been there for me in the physical, um, but I felt loved by him um, on a deeper level, you know, just to think that he had thought about me was healing. The, the thought that he knew that I was a daughter was healing to me. The thought that perhaps Andre and I, somehow he had something to do with Andre and I finding each other was healing. Um, and one of the things I did as um, a young adult um, was I took a name, I took his name. And it goes back to being at peace with our identity and with our stories, our birthright. Um, I wrote a piece about, you know, are you thinking about changing your adoptee's name? Are you thinking about completely changing your adoptee's name? My name was completely changed upon adoption from Julia Don to Michelle. And there was a part of me who always wondered what happened to that first girl. And so taking uh, my birth father's name was an act of freedom for me um, and an act of of claiming my identity, my birthright. Um, and, and, and that was healing to me too. It, it linked me with him and I needed it for me at least. And everyone's story is different and how we respond um, as adoptees along the journey is different. But for me, taking his name was very important and I claimed it and it, I, my adoptive parents did not understand um, that at all but I had to do it for me. And it was part of my journey of healing and, and arriving at a place of peace for sure. Um, and then, you know, I, I talked to my birth father all the time, you know, on walks or what have you, I allow myself to open myself to speak to, speak to him. And um, 
I think that's a, a beautiful gift to give myself too, that, that it's, that it's okay to include him in my thoughts and in my prayers. And, um, as I go and, and, and move in my day, um, he's always with me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But, you know, when, when I was, when I was in foster care in the UK, I'm not, you know, I'm not your typical English rose. My, my birth mother's English, but birth father's Spanish. And so I was not, I didn't look like um, your typical English girl. And I was tagged as difficult to place and dark and, you know, all of these things. And so perhaps for me in the taking of his name, I was claiming that part of my heritage, that Spanish part of my heritage, which I felt so strongly inside of myself. In mm. fact, when I reunited with my brother Andre, we, we laughed because as children, we discovered we both used to take open up jars of olives and eat the olives and drink the juice. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, it seems so silly, but it's like, oh, of course. And we connected on that. We had this crazy fetish for olives, but um, it, it filled a place inside of myself and the pieces started to fit um, a little better and I started to feel a little more whole and so I always say to adoptees however you feel you need to connect with your birth parents do that whether it's um, talking to them along a walk or writing a letter to them journaling whatever you need to do do what you need to do what you feel is best for you to to find a level of connection with them whether they're on this earth or no longer here mm. you bring up a lot of really good points and I think the one that I wanted to touch on is this point of connection and it sounds like you due to your own experience you've been able to kind of navigate the waters when it comes to your own daughter and the potential of things that she either might experience or, or has already experienced yeah. as far mm -hmm. as due to her own experience of being adopted mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm curious to know from your lens because i think this is one of the things that oftentimes is not discussed enough and that is in situations where the person is adopted, in my opinion, especially internationally, mm -hmm. there's so many obstacles that are have to be worked through and that individual mm -hmm. has to overcome. Language is just one of them. Culture, mm -hmm. understanding how do you form friend groups? How do you even create a relationship with your parents? Mm -hmm. All of mm -hmm. these are obstacles. And I'm curious to know through your lens, and because of your personal experience, when you look at moments of, let's say, disobedience through mm -hmm. the lens of your daughter, what do you actually see? Oh, I see, um, I see a child who's trying to discover who she is, and I try to keep that in mind. I think the such a such a beautiful question, um, Oleg. It's such a thoughtful question. Um, I think it's really important, and I just posted um, a blog post today about this very thing, um, the question of was the adoptee there? Um, I think adoptive parents and everyone who loves an adopted person needs to ask, do you believe that the adoptee was there? And what I mean by that is, is I think for a long time, adoptees were sort of treated as inanimate objects. They didn't really, they weren't really alive. They weren't living beings until post-adoption. And then all of a sudden, you know, there are these living, feeling beings, um, aware beings. But the fact of the matter is, I believe that we create bonds inside of our birth mother's womb. 
And we are aware of that. We are there and present for that. We are aware and present when those bonds are severed, when we are severed from our, our birth mother, when we are severed from our birth culture, from our birth language um, as international adoptees. Um, and that we experience and we are there for the changing of hands when a child is placed in one ar a set of arms and then moved to the next. We, we experience we're there for those shifts and for those traumas because that's loss and it's trauma. So the first thing I think we have to ask ourselves, do we believe the adoptee was there for all of it, right? Mm -hmm. Pre-adoption, during the adoption and post-adoption. I believe we're there for all of it. I believe that we're there and we experience every emotion, every feeling. And what happens, I think, all too often is we don't realize sometimes in what we see as disobedience or maybe being disrespectful um, that of, from, a, from a parent opti uh, set of optics, right? Mm -hmm. That our child may be moving through real grief and so understanding the stages of grief and where your child may be within you know their five stages of grief um i can run through them real quick this is shock denial uh -huh. um, anger where frustration lives right sadness loss depression and then sort of the bargaining where you're searching for meaning and you're trying to uh, learn ways to tell your story and then from the final the fifth one is creation and acceptance where you're exploring your options, you're putting a new plan in place and you're beginning to move forward in your life. For parents to ask and for the adoptee to ask if they're um, say an adult adoptee uh, to seek help to understand where am I within the cycle of grief, um, the five stages of grief and to allow our children to grieve. And sometimes what seems like disrespect or ill behavior or, you know, um, disobedience is really the child grieving a mm. real loss because they were there. And so it's really important for parents to ask themselves, what might, where might my child be grieving in those five stages of, of grief? Are they, are they pulling, you know, away? Are they isolating themselves? Are they, you know, um, showing anger that doesn't seem to be appropriate in the moment, you know, um, what's happening and try to see it as grief and get to the wound and, and work to understand the language, what they're really trying to say, because more times than not, and of course, you know, we have to teach within the framework of discipline. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm a, I'm, I believe that's what discipline is. It's an opportunity to teach. Um, if it's just punishment, you, you don't get anywhere, really. So you've got you gotta, you gotta roll up your sleeves and be a teacher for your child. But you know, reaching out your hand and creating space for open, honest, transparent conversation to understand what your child is feeling and what they may be grieving is absolutely essential. So with my daughter, one of the questions I will say, if we, we've hit on the little rocky moment, which is not a lot, I, I gotta tell you, um, we have a really good open relationship and the ability to, to um, to talk about really deep things. She's 10, but she's deep and she's so wise. One of the things I ask her, if she's crying, you know, um, I say, you know, if, if your tears could talk, what would they say? Mm. 
a lot of times, you know, parents just want to say, stop crying. Don't, don't cry, you know. Mm. Um, but if you can ask an op a question that allows for openness. And I'm telling you, it's 99.9% .9 of the time. If I say to her, if your, if your tears could talk, honey, what would they say? What would they want to tell me? She opens up and shares really beautiful truths. Well, you know, I feel sad in this moment and, and I don't know why. And I'm wondering where my birth mother is. And you know what, then Oleg, we'll talk to her birth mother. Well, let's hold hands and let's talk to her. What would you want to say to her right now? Because I believe wherever she may be, that she can hear you. And it's, it's healing, you know, it, it is healing. And, and children just want to be, feel safe. Adopted children want to feel safe to open up and share these, these feelings and these thoughts and these questions that they have. And they don't wanna feel like um, they're going to be reprimanded for doing that. They don't wanna feel like if I, if I say this to my adoptive mother or my adoptive parent, my adoptive father, am I going to seem ungrateful um, or disloyal? Adoptees have the ability, and I really want people to hear this, to love both sets of parents. They have the ability to love birth family and adoptive family. We've got to give them the space, though, to heal and to grieve and to be heard so that they can move through those sometimes complicated feelings and, and, and arrive at a place where they feel empowered and at peace with their story and their identity mm -hmm. and feel safe to stand in their truth. Mm. Did you ever feel within your adoptive family, did you ever feel this feeling of being looked at as different because that's something that I've learned throughout numerous conversations that I've had with people who have been adopted into different families is that feeling that they felt when they walked into that household that they're looked at as different. And I don't know if that just comes, especially when there's a sibling or multiple siblings involved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's just a natural feeling of, kind of sibling jealousy that people go through, or if that's a real thing, if that's a real thing where that difference is acknowledged, did, did you have a similar journey? Yes, I always felt different. I always felt like I stood out and I did. I, I didn't look anything like my adopted family. Um, and I think the struggle for me was when I would try to express that to my mother, she would just say, I adopted you from a hard place, be grateful, you know, your culture is our, our culture is your culture now. And that's the way it is. But the fact of the matter is I, I, <laughs> I was different and um, it, it hurt and it stung because different made me feel on the outside, especially when I couldn't really talk to my parents about it, when I couldn't be open and honest about how that made me feel. Um, so I don't think it's, um, an uncommon feeling for adoptees to feel different. Um, but I think it's really important to talk to them about that. And how does that make them feel? What does that look like for them? Um, it's, it's really key because the fact of the matter is we, we are different. We come from um, a different biology, a different mm -hmm. background. We come with a story and hard stories very often. Um, and the ability to speak to that feeling of being different and allowing the adoptee to be heard is really key because if you're not able to express that, um, then different can 
become a real roadblock in your life. Mm -hmm. I'm okay now that I'm different. I love the fact that I'm different. You know, I love the fact that I'm unique. I love the fact that I have this story that is, is no longer my weakness. It is my strength. My adoption story is my strength. And it has become a purpose for me that drives me each and every day to reach out and use the, the great lessons of my adoption story to help others, to teach, right, um, to coach. It, it, is, it has become, in, in some ways, a superpower for me. And, and at one point, it felt very much the opposite. But I love being different. I love being unique. Each and every one of us, as you know, Oleg, we're, we're unique. Every person alive is, is unique and individual. And we need to embrace that. And beyond that, we need to allow each other um, to shine in our uniqueness and be exactly who we are. And not try to force someone to live a story that is not true for them, a narrative that is false, or an identity that doesn't feel like it fits. That's a really beautiful point. And it's actually very much related to the one that you made earlier prior to us having that conversation. And it was something along the lines of the adoptee's role was is not to, I might butcher some words here, so you might have to help me out. It's <laughs> not to please, but it's, it's to achieve. Something yeah. along those lines, right? Yeah. I, the adoptee's role, I think I wrote, is not to appease, it's to achieve. But yeah not to pacify, not to please. We are, I, I'll say from my personal experience, uh -huh. all I wanted to do growing up was to please because I, I worried that if I didn't please my mother, I would be sent away. It was a real fear for me growing up. And so that manifested in trying to be perfect, the best grades, the best this, the best that. And it's just not sustainable. And what I learned through my own journey of becoming and arriving at a place of peace with my story and my identity is that my role was never to appease to the point that I lost myself. That's, that's not okay. And we shouldn't ask adoptees to do that. Their, our, their role, our role as adoptees is to achieve everything we've been put here to achieve, to achieve our dreams, to, to see our lives as you know, abundant, to see possibility and potential. But if we're living inside of someone else's narrative, and mm -hmm. if, we're, if we're trying to just please so that we stay safe, we don't grow, we don't become ultimately who we're here to, who, who we're here to be. And I think that's a great, great tragedy. I've written before that the greatest tragedy for an adoptee or anyone is abandoning who they are. And so I go back to my life. I'm, I was abandoned as a little girl. I was. My parents left. Um, but I don't have to. I, I ran around all of my life trying to please and to appease so that I wouldn't be abandoned again. That, that fear of abandonment, the fear of rejection was so real on a daily basis. And it really controlled my life until I realized that that, that is never, never an acceptable role. And that I, in doing that, I'm abandoning myself. Mm -hmm. If I am just living to please others, and I, at the end of the day, I still, you know, I feel um, silenced from my truth, I'm abandoning myself. And I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to do that again. And so I like people to please consider, you know, that that is the greatest tragedy for an adoptee or anyone, is the abandoning of themselves. So live your truth, find the ways to be at peace with your identity and with your story, 
That's the greatest gift you can give yourself. And that's how we love ourselves. And it is, Oleg, it is our birthright. We were never placed here just to fall in line and, and, and be this perfect little child, someone else's gift. You know, we, we're real breathing human beings, we adoptees. And we have unique purpose and unique calling. And the only way we find that is when we come to a place of peace with who we are. Mm, I love that. I know that you do a lot of work with adoptees and other members of the adoption and foster care community. And, and part of that work involves coaching and different elements of that. Could you mm -hmm. tell us a little bit more about some of that work? So for anyone that's listening, that might be interested in kind of doing a deeper dive into forming their narrative, or even from a parent perspective, understanding the different challenges that their kid might be going through and what they can expect and ultimately how can they overcome and work through some of those. Yeah, thank you. I mean, people can find me at lifecoachmmb.com. Um, and it is, it is such an honor to work with these amazing families. I mean, I work with adoptive parents, um, normally adoptive moms, and then I work with adult adoptees. And it just so happens that normally they're women, although I'm open to um, helping and supporting um, men as well. But so far, I, I have, I've been blessed to coach women. Um, for the adult adoptee, I think many times um, what they say to me all too often is I grew up feeling silenced and unheard. I don't really know who I am still. Um, I'm fearful of rejection. Um, I lay my head down on the pillow every night and say, you know, why am I here and who mm. am I? Um, and I want to scream. I want to scream out. I was there. I experienced everything, you know, and, and, I, and I don't feel like I've ever been able to um, actually verbalize what that was like for me. And so taking them through a process to really identify um, the story that they're telling themselves about their adoption story, you know, right. what's the narrative and, and where did that narrative come from? Is that yours or someone else, someone else's and you know, the wounds um, really getting to the wounds and of course the limiting beliefs that um, come from the wounds, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm not enough. I'm not worthy of love you know, nothing ever seems to work out for me. Um, all of those limiting beliefs that, that um, put a huge dent in our ability to live a life of fulfillment. And then we move on to forgiveness. And, and I have to say, it's such a huge component. Um, finding peace in your story requires forgiveness. Mm. And it is so key. I had to learn the power of radical forgiveness, just to forgive all. Um, because it was freeing for me, you know, when I started really forgiving, really forgiving, not just saying it, but really forgiving and, and loving those who left. That's, you know, it seems crazy, doesn't it? Loving people right. who leave you, loving people who, who hurt you in that way, who abandon you. But when I allowed myself to love them and see them as broken people too, you know, um, then the, the, the freeing up of my own spirit and of my own soul and that and that practice of forgiveness was huge. And, and I do believe that gratitude is key. I'm not saying that we, we say to the adoptee, just be grateful. I don't think that's helpful to a child who doesn't really understand where to place that, right? And how do, what does that mean? But mm -hmm. as we grow, grow and as we go, 
we can learn the power of gratitude, the power of what it means to be in the moment and grateful for what we have right now. You know, it, it's a simple thing like I'm grateful for my breath, what it is, whatever it is that brings you to a place of gratitude. And we move on from there in exploring their story and then moving through the grief and moving onward and forward to where they want to be. For me with adults adoptees, it's all about where are you now? Where do you want to be? And how do we help get you there? And for mm. the adoptive parent, you know, it's always about understanding the language of adoption. What is your child really saying? What do they really mean by this? If they're pushing you away, what does that really mean? Um, and so we explore the language of adoption with parents and I help them to create space for, you know, more meaningful conversation. And a lot of times, well, all the time, I use the acronym of OPEN, offer unconditional love always. It's huge. P, prepare safe spaces for hearing your child as your child becomes ready to share feelings and questions. Engage with your child, never forcing your opinion are judging them, but allowing your child's truth to emerge. And then in of open is nurture an atmosphere of always here and always ready to listen. So we really frame the coaching around that acronym of open. And how do we do more of that? How do we create more understanding? How do we build, you know, more meaningful bridges of connection? Um, and and it's, it's such a privilege um, to work with these individuals and with these families. Adoption is complicated, as you know, oh. but it's also beautiful and that beauty can be found. We just have to learn to listen to each other and to value um, differing opinions and to hear our children and believe in the wisdom our children mm -hmm. possess. These kids have much to teach us. And um, we just have to allow them to be heard. Mm -hmm. And a lot of healing can take place. You know, it's not, adoption isn't either or, choose this family or that family. We are in this together, birth family, adopted family, you know, whatever level of connection you have with a birth family, whatever you think about their story, try not to judge it. And I say to parents sometimes, you may not like a birth family, but you better learn how to love them. Mm. Because your child's gonna feel that, right? Mm -hmm. The child will feel that. I used to feel my mother's judgment about my birth mother. And it was painful, it made me feel dirty. And um, I don't think, that's just not fair. Mm -hmm. Love them, find a place, find a way to hold a space of love in your heart for that family, for that first family. And um, it, it's transformational for an adoptee when they feel that. Mm. In that you mentioned about gratitude, what do you personally do on a daily basis or a weekly or monthly, whatever the routine is and the frequency is to mm. take yourself into that mindset, be, mindset of being grateful? Do you have a journal? Is there anything that you personally do that anyone's listening can put into practice? And the other question that I have to you is this, because this kind of made sense for me when I was first having that thought of choosing to be grateful. I remember the first time I was asked the question, what are you grateful for? I listed four or five things and that's it. it I couldn't list anymore. And all those things were external. I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for a car, dog, and all this stuff.
And what that moment made me realize was that there were so many other things that I just took for granted, such as ability to breathe, hear, touch, smell, all these mm-hmm. other things. And that's where personally I have a, I guess you could say a gratitude journal. And that's in which I express what I'm grateful for for myself. And then one other thing that I do is I write a thank you note to one other person every single day. I've been doing it for probably a, a year by now, at least mm-hmm. like four, 400 days or something like that. Mm-hmm. Every day, just start off the morning with that and just thanking that person. It could be as simple as holding a space like this, having a phone conversation, yes. holding the door for me at X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. time. What do you personally do to practice gratitude? I never, thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. I love that thank you note. That's beautiful. Um, I don't let my toes touch the, the floor in the morning. I don't get out of bed before I say a prayer of gratitude um, and to ask for the ability to be a blessing in someone's life on that day. Um, meditation is really powerful for me um, to go to a place of stillness. Um, I feel and am opened up to to gratitude and the expansiveness of gratitude. Uh, certainly prayer. Um, I like to do walking meditations. I like to be out in nature and listen to, to meditations. Um, I, I feel like I connect to a deep, deep, deep sense of gratitude uh, when I'm out in nature. I love hearing birds and I love gardening and I love you know looking at the colors of the sky and watching the sunset and all of these beautiful gifts that are really just masterpieces and miracles make me feel so connected to that place of gratefulness um, and gratitude. And, you know, my children, of course, I'm so grateful to be the woman that they call mother. It mm. blows my mind every single day that I am the mother to these kids. They're incredible. And so my gratitude is deep. And yes, you know, for me, um, I think the internal workings of who I am and the expansiveness of who I am in, in spirit and with a heartbeat and the, 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 the gratitude I have for a breath, the ability to take a deep, long breath, the ability to sit in stillness, the, the ability to watch a butterfly, to see a butterfly as it's you know, flying through the air. The little tiny things really bring me back to um, that place of gratitude for this life and how I came to be here as, as much as it, it has been filled with roadblocks and many things to overcome, I wouldn't have it any other way. And the person that I am today because of those roadblocks, because of the obstacles, because of the challenges, and they were hard, yes, but my life feels so fulfilled now and the ability to help and to teach and to learn the great lessons of life through this adoption journey that I've been on. I'm just so deeply grateful. So connecting to all of that, journaling is huge. Because when you write it down, you really see it, you know, it's so real. And when you, you know, journal your story, journal your day, you can look back and go, wow, there's so much to be grateful for. And always like reminding myself to live from the heart and not from the head. The head, the mind is such a trapping. It's going to tell me every day that I'm not worthy of speaking. What could anybody want to learn from you anyway? All of those things that the mind wants to trick us into being small, but the heart knows that's the pl- our real place of wisdom. And so breathe into your heart, drop down into that heart space and the very essence of who you are 
and 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 open yourself up to the great learnings and lessons lessons of your life because it's exceptional and it's one of a kind and you know what like you always say as you encourage people to to share their stories we need to hear those stories there is someone out there right now hungry for the story only you can share mm -hmm. right and when you really think about that someone's hungry and i need to feed them and i'm going to get up and do everything i can to feed them and nourish them and help them along the way Mm -hmm. So um, all of those things you said about um, being mindful um, about our, our gratitude um, and the ability to, to be grateful for, fill ourselves up with gratitude is really a key component in, I think, finding a place of wholeness uh, and abundance in our lives. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous stories. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next week.